I like to. I like to say something. This is Dirt and Spray. Back in '82, I used to be able to throw a pigskin for a mile. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. With Andy Dirt Johnson and Brendan Sprague. God, there was one week when you wore sweatpants every day. Oh, you know what? If they were Sean John sweatpants, it would have been fine. But because they're Costco brand, it's like the worst thing I could do. Dirt and Sprague on 1080 The Fan. Well, I roll it right, Welcome back in hour number two. Dirt and Sprague here on Portland Sports Leader 1080 The Fan. Back from our three day vacation. Uh, our three-day weekend, I could get used to those. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty evident that the American working class should have three-day weekends, like it's 2022, but yet here we go, still fighting against that idea. I feel incredibly refreshed on a Tuesday. Usually Tuesdays are the lull of the week. Yeah, I had a moment on Monday where I was like, God, this is so nice. I'm driving around, doing whatever I want, and then... <laughs> My God, imagine if we had this on a regular basis. Every single week. Not waking up at 4 a.m. Oh, (laughs) glorious. Feels good. Uh, We have a lot to get to here in the second hour, and it's primarily football. I know the Blazers won two games in a row against the old Dallas Mavericks. That they did, just what the doctor ordered. A nice win and then a break on the injury front on Sunday. One of those games was good. The other game was like, you should win. Yeah. Uh, and, and now they, they have Denver tonight, so we'll see what they do if they can get three in a row after losing five in a row. Call it a heater. Um, we'll get to Seattle, San Francisco, Monson at the bottom of the hour. I We have to start, though. Unfortunately, the second hour of the show has to start with your beloved Justin Herbert <laughs> and the L.A. Chargers being up 27 to nothing that they were, yeah. on the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, yeah. and losing the game. 31-30. How about that? <laughs> the first team to ever finish plus five on the turnover margin and, bl- and not win the game. They Yikes. were a plus five Yikes. in the turnover margin. And Lawrence had four of those. Four of those. He threw four picks in Ooh. the first half, and they had a fumble. I actually thought the moment – I ended up actually <laughs> – I didn't want to tweet this out or say this because I, I hate doing this to my boy. When they scored at the end of the first half, I put 10 bucks on the Jags' money line because there were weird vibes, and the weird vibes started when Jacksonville muffed a punt. This game's 24 nothing. Jacksonville muffs a punt. The Chargers get the ball on, what, the 10-yard line, 8-yard yeah. line, whatever the hell it was. And Herbert, and there's there's areas where you can nitpick his performance. He wasn't horrible. He wasn't great. He missed Keenan Allen in the end zone. I don't know I how he don't know missed how he missed him. that throw. I don't oh know if there was an arm God. in front of him. If he just airmailed it, I don't know what it was. But it's twenty four nothing. And as dumb as it might sound, because it's only four more points, there's a different mentality when you score a touchdown after another Jacksonville mistake, and you go up thirty one nothing. If you hit that, if you hit that throw. Instead of being a 31 nothing deficit at the half, you have to settle for a field goal. And what does your defense do in the final you know, 90 seconds of the half? You give up a touchdown. I mean, that was a huge monumental swing in that game. And the second that that happened, you had to remind yourself, these are the Chargers. What are the what is the Chargers history? Like I jokingly tweeted in the first half that they must have sacrificed a live chicken in the locker room before the game because they were catching every break. The Jackson or excuse me, the LA Chargers never catch any breaks. They're known as the team that gets screwed over somehow some way, yet they were catching all the breaks and then in the end it was still the same old Chargers. Okay, so I have a lot I want to ask you here about this game. I want to go to that possession you just highlighted where Herbert missed Keenan Allen, who just went straight into the end zone, and he overthrew him by a lot. I 
and I know they kept talking about this on the broadcast. His arm angle. His arm angle. He had a lot of balls batted down in the last scrimmage. He does. It's kind of been his thing, though, this year. He's, he throws a little sidearm. Yeah, he's kind of a sidearm thrower in a lot of ways. That one, I mean, that one's going to eat him alive. If he hasn't watched that at least 25 times, yeah, he has. <laughs> he's going to watch it another 50, and he's going to go, how did I miss that throw? Yep. I, I do want to counter, because Staley's going to stay on his coach. The players advocated for him. He has not been fired, and the report out of Jay Glazer was Let me they're, dream. they're keeping him. Let me dream. It's it's over. Let the dream, dream is dead. Let me dream. But I, I'm more curious because I was watching this in the moment, and as a Jags better, I remember saying out loud, oh, thank God, because I didn't think they'd come back and win that game. I, I had counted that as a loss. I'm like, well, there you go. That's done. You just need to cover the leg of a teaser. Why did Staley kick a field goal there? They got the ball. They're at the six. You're at the six-yard line. You're up 24 to nothing. You have all the momentum. You have everything going your way. That that crowd, as good as they were in the Tennessee Titan game, dead and lifeless against the Chargers. Mm-hmm. You have them at the six. You get to the five after you run. You miss a couple throws. Why was he so quick? As a guy who loves to go for it on fourth down. He did it the entire game. Why was he quick to go for it? Because at worst... You're just giving Jacksonville the ball at the five-yard line. Making him go 95 yards at the end of the first half. What did Jacksonville do after that possession, by the way? <laughs> they punted. <laughs> what were they doing all game going into that? They are either punting or throwing the ball to the other team. That was it. I, I Brandon Staley deserves a lot of criticism. It, it should be loud. I think in this NFL, man, you can tell pretty clearly who is a great coach Who's getting a little more out of their team than they should? Like Brian Dayball. We talked about him in hour one. Coaching matters. Evident what the coaching impact in that team is, right? Even O'Connell, the Vikings, I know that defense was a disaster. He inherited most of that talent. You can see elements of his teams that you're like, I like that. I think O'Connell can be good. Now, we'll see what year two is for him. Staley, to me, has been evident. I don't think they're very well coached. And I don't know why he kicked a field goal. What does going up twenty-seven nothing versus twenty-seven a four game a four-score game is a four-score game? It doesn't change anything by the math. And so, like, I just I didn't I couldn't rack my brain around why he kicked that field goal. And I'm kind of with you. I'm like maybe, but it's still that's that was the third largest comeback in NFL history. NFL history. They kicked a field goal on fourth and goal from the four. They kicked a field goal on fourth and goal from the five. They kicked a field goal on fourth and three from the 22-yard line. That one, okay. I can. The math probably says you go for it from the 22. The others, that's egregious. Go for it. I actually, I actually thought I'm the reverse. I actually thought the fourth and three from the 22 was the worst because that was the one that they missed late in the game. So you didn't even get the points out of it, I believe. Uh, and it was already. I mean, you made a two-score game, a two-score game. Like true. You're not it, like a Touché. touchdown there. They were up by 10, I think, in the moment. I think it was still 30 to 20. They missed the field goal. So even if you make it, it's a it's a 13-point game. They still need two scores to tie or to take the lead and instead you try and go for it there you score a touchdown you go up by 17 in the fourth quarter yeah even that lead should be safe enough i look the, the whole a lot of this is going to come down on quarterbacks and that's the way the modern nfl works right Kirk cousins plays great he makes a bad throw on fourth down and he's the bum joe burrow doesn't do a ton really struggles because his offensive line is banged up they get a 98 yard scoop and score for a touchdown he's he's a winner this is what joe burrow does in the playoffs he's joe cool so i get that a lot of the pressure will come down on herbert for this and and some of it's deserved he was wasn't great in this game. We just pointed to a throw that he missed. He missed a screen late in the game as well that they kind of had set up that he overthrew the running back a little bit. I don't know how anybody watches this team and thinks to themselves that they are well coached. This, this is a collapse. This is not just a Herbert thing, though. And I, I'm a I'm a Oregon State guy. I don't need to defend Justin Herbert. 
This is not just a Herbert thing. This is a team collapse to lose that game. You don't blow a 27-point lead by by one player. They didn't get a single stop in the second half. Brandon Staley's job is supposed to be a defensive guru. They, they couldn't get a stop to save their lives. They yeah. gave up a score on every single possession in the second half. They cannot run the football. The breakdown when they were up 27 to nothing, they ran 33 plays the rest of the game. 25 of those plays were passes. Eight of the, or excuse me, five of them were runs. My math is off. 30 plays the rest of the game. The five runs that they ran, that they had, First one, minus four yards. Second one, minus one yard. Guess what? Both those came on first down, so it was second and 14 and then second and 11. Obvious running situation. The third run was a zero-yard gain. The fourth run was a one-yard gain, and the fifth run was a four-yard gain. Yeah. They ran five run running plays for zero yards in the second half of that game. You know how you blow a 27-point lead? You can't run the football and you can't play defense, and the Chargers couldn't do either of those in the back half. There, there's a million reasons that you can point to why Brandon Staley should be fired. It starts with his handling of playing guys in Week 18, and in his franchise quarterback's first playoff start, he had to go out there without his number one wide receiver because you elected to play him in a meaningless game, and he ended up fracturing his back. Then on top of that, you lied about it the entire week, or at least misled people about it the entire week. As of Thursday, he was asked point blank by the media, is Mike Williams going to play and travel in this game? He said, yes. Friday we get off the air. What's get, what gets reported the second we're in our cars driving home? Mike Williams has a fracture in his back. Not only can he not play this weekend, he's likely done for the next couple of weeks, even if the Chargers are able to advance. So here you go. You go into a playoff game without your number one wide receiver. Then in the game, Carter ends up getting hurt. So now you're without two of your top three wide receivers. And your backup left tackle, who has now become your starting left tackle, because your starting left tackle got hurt in week three of the season, he goes down. And so now you're playing with a third-string left tackle and without two of your top three wide receivers. I just the, the, the moment, though, that it all came to a head for me, was when Joey Bosa lost his S, which happened multiple times. One time he was goaded by the official, and that was that was uh, absolute horse S by that official for walking after him on that play. Bosa, that, that was a weird thing. The Bosa he, referee he baited thing him completely in that. That was, was that weird. reminded me of Rashid back in the day. Yeah. He came over to the sideline though, and I don't know if you caught this. On the two-point conversion, he ends up slamming his helmet down. He gets the personal foul call. That allows the Jags to go for two to, to, to give themselves a chance to win the game with a field goal. field goal win, yeah. Which they ended up kicking. And Peterson said if we didn't get that, we were going to kick They were going to kick, point. right? Yeah. And then you go to overtime and maybe you win the game. So it ended up being an incredibly costly play. What did Brandon Staley do when Joey Bosa made a penalty that cost his team the game? He picked up his helmet and he handed it back to him like he was a hall monitor. Like, he's the guy, the, 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 the RA in your dorm room. Like, here, you drop this. You're the head coach of the football team. And a guy just made a pivotal mistake, and you don't start barking at him. He handed him his helmet back, and then Bosa slammed it again on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. Like, this dude's not a serious NFL head coach. It is the most charger move of all time to retain him. He's got the backing of the players, though. Derwin James, Bosa cited that particular instance, said that's what a real leader does. He he got my he gave me my helmet. He didn't slam my helmet the second time. I did that. That was my fault. Derwin James says he's built a culture there. They they took a step. They made the playoffs this year. I you know, I can agree with that, but I, I still think we look at the situation and we look at the talent and we say, Wildcard well, weekend loss, huh? Blown twenty seven point lead? That that's that's the culture. I don't get it, man. He cost him the season last year, calling timeout in Week 18 against the Raiders, and yeah. he cost him again this week. Not having your number one wide receiver was so, was pitiful in that game. I, you know, I did the gambling show Sunday night. I said I don't think Spanos is going to fire this dude. They made the playoffs. I think they view that as a positive. He's getting backing from the players. Yeah. Do you know what's funny? My producer of that show shoots me a thing. So when the Chargers were looking for head coach, Andy Reid was available. They hired Mike McCoy. <laughs> Sean McDermott was available. They hired Anthony Lynn. How's that working out for you? 
Brian Dayball was available. Yep. They hired Brandon Staley. Brandon Staley. At every turn, this franchise has had an opportunity to go get the right person that probably would have taken them even higher than where they're at. It's the Chargers. And they've chosen the other path. That's the only depressing thing for me today. It's always going to be the Chargers. Well, and I and that's the thing that Herbert and company have to deal with. They very well could come in the next year and they could steamroll the AFC West and maybe the Staley makes us sound stupid a year later. But right now, based on what I've seen and how you feel, you didn't feel good about how last year ended and what he did was with his play calling. And you didn't feel great about blowing not only a 27-point lead, but just how many moments where you're like, what are you doing? Why are you playing anybody on Friday? We had their play-by-play guy, and he's like, yeah, William's probably going to play. He's going to tough it out. Yeah. I get in my car at 9.45. Mike Williams is out. I'm like, even the play-by-play guy has no idea what's going on with this team. <laughs> no clue. And you just you have to be very smart in the NFL with who you hire, when you hire, and why you hire. And the Chargers are at a pretty pivotal spot with Herbert, development, where they're going as a franchise. Brandon Staley has not changed a thing defensively, in my opinion, even with studs on that side of the ball. And offensively, Joe Lombardi, at the bare minimum, should not be calling plays for this team next year. You mentioned the run-pass splits after they were up 27-0. It's embarrassing. Why are you throwing the football? Why are you not killing clock? Austin Eckler, here's 30 carries. We're going to ride you until we need to throw the football. And they didn't do it. They said, Herbert, throw the football a ton, kill the clock for the Jags, and let them have an opportunity to come back. I do give a lot of credit to Trevor Lawrence Mentally coming back from four picks in the 100%, first half absolutely. is an incredibly tough thing for an athlete to do. But that was an absolute choke job by Brandon Staley and the Chargers. Their two running backs had about 20 combined carries for 50 yards. They both averaged below three yards a carry. You have to be balanced offensively in the playoffs. They are not. There's another team that that concerns me on and how far they can go. We'll get to them uh, in a moment. I, th- th- You start with hopefully firing Joe Lombardi, but I, I highly doubt that's going to happen too. They're going to look at this and say we made the playoffs, and it's the worst thing possible that you could do because I look around the rest of the AFC right now and even some of these teams in the the NFC, they have these young quarterbacks that they're trying to build things around. They've made the right hire. And the team that, that the L.A. lawsuit this weekend did that. They had Urban Meyer last year. Their owner had to acknowledge three-quarters of the way through the season that might be the worst hire in NFL history. I'm going to go ahead and fire that guy. And what did he do? He went out and got a Super Bowl-winning coach who's great at developing quarterbacks, who's a brilliant play caller, who's aggressive when he needs to be aggressive, a la going for two, setting them up with an opportunity to win the game uh, with, with a field goal at the end. They made the right hire. And if I have to ask you, who are you buying stock in in the next five years, Jacksonville or L.A.? It's not even close for me because of coaching. I'm taking Jacksonville until the Chargers figure this out. I'll say this, and then I want to get to San Francisco, Seattle before we talk with, with Sam Monson. If we do this with quarterbacks, why are we not doing it with coaches? If a quarterback, Zach Wilson's had like less than 30 career starts (laughs) and we're out. He's done. If we're assessing the quarterback position and saying, you got it, you don't got it. Why are we not also doing the same thing with coaches when we can clearly see, got it, don't got it. Doesn't take much. I don't get it. If we're doing with the quarterbacks, we should be doing it with the head coach. Uh, San Francisco suffers a scare from Seattle, but they advance. We'll get to that coming up next, and then Sam Monson at the bottom of the hour. Dirt and Sprague. All right, welcome back in. We'll get to the mail sack at 8.15. It's Dirt and Sprague with you, your cup of coffee this morning. Happy Tuesday. Any and all questions are welcome at the mail sack. Sports, non-sports, doesn't matter. Uh, we will get to Sam Monson coming up for profootballfocus.com at 7.30. But before we do that, San Francisco was down at the half. Brock Purdy and company, 
as it's being labeled now, it's Brock Purdy and Company. It's no longer the San Francisco 49ers. It's just Pur- Purdy's team. Everybody's on board. Uh, they committed an, an incredibly dumb penalty near the end of the first half that it gave Seattle an extra 15 yards. They were able to attempt a field goal. And see, the Seahawks went up at the half against the Niners, 17-16. And as somebody who, you know, I root for the Niners, but like if they lose, it doesn't ruin my day. I was incredibly disheartened and thought, oh, my God, they actually might lose this game. Mm -hmm. I even text my brother who wanted about one hundred and twenty dollars. But his mom stepped in and said, no, you're not. Oh, come on. No, you're not. We had a listener to tweet us saying, don't don't take his money. Screw that. If you're that irrationally confident to make that bet, you got to pay up. A bet's a bet. I took the bet. And then his mom stepped in and was like, no, you're not going to bet that. He was like, "Okay, I won't bet it. So we bet a dinner, a nice little pizza dinner. Okay, that's good. And I was sitting half like, oh, my God, I'm going to have to order a pizza for this bastard as the Niners were losing. <laughs> and then the second half played out, and it was uh, the Niners by a million. And the Niners ended up surviving a bit of a scare from the Seahawks in Wild Card Weekend. They did. And, and Brock Purdy is going to get a lot of the attention. But just like when Jimmy Garoppolo was their quarterback, he doesn't deserve it. The 49ers are winning because they are arguably the best roster in the NFL. Their defense got off to a slow start, had a rough second quarter there for a bit. Uh, completely put the clamps down in the second half. Seattle couldn't do much until a garbage-time touchdown at the very end of the game. They ran the ball for 181 yards as a team. Christian McCaffrey had 119 of those, 68 of them coming on one carry, but they were explosive. The the, the plays that they made after the catch were just awe-inspiring, man. The number of times that he would Brock Purdy would hit Debo on like a five-yard crossing route, and he would turn it into 30 or 40 yards, and it's not just him. Kittle did it a couple of times. Brandon Ayuk had a monster game for them. They spread the ball around. They have so many weapons. They have so many different ways to beat you, and the stat that blew me away the most, Brock Purdy averaged his average time to throw the football on Saturday was 3.63 seconds. That is the longest in a game this season amongst players with at least 25 attempts. And Seattle blitzed a good amount of the game to try and make him uncomfortable. And he still was able to extend, have a lot of time. When you give a quarterback nearly four seconds in the pocket on every single play, they're going to find open receivers. He's the point guard, and he's got a lot of weapons to choose from. I mean, you give Seattle a lot of credit for stepping in that. I mean, they they got bullied both games that they played against San Francisco. It's why I think a lot of us felt that that wasn't going to be much of a game. And Seattle came in with a good game plan. And I, I thought Purdy's nerves showed themselves early. He they was did. missing throws. He looked shaky. Very first throw of the game, you're like, oh, what was that? <laughs> yeah, and it's it's kind of one of the reasons I'm watching this and I go, yep, see, this is what I'm afraid of. And I know he got it together. You know, he became, what it, what, what was the stat? 300 passing yards and a 125-plus passer rating in a playoff win. Um, he's the youngest to do it. It's him, then it's Marino, Mahomes, Tim Tebow, Josh Allen. <laughs> Two of those things are not like the others. But I'm just, that's the Brock Purdy I'm nervous about. It's why I think Dallas should be getting a lot of value at plus four. I know they're a hot and cold team, but despite that great effort by Seattle, them pulling away, I just want to highlight how unusual, rare, and almost like impossible it is for a team to look as good as they do while playing their third quarterback, third string quarterback. Like that. If there's a testament, like Kyle Shanahan gets a lot of the flowers because of his play calling, kind of the culture he's created within that locker room. If there's somebody that deserves a lot of credit today for San Francisco's situation, it is John Lynch. John Lynch has missed, right? He drafted Solomon Thomas in a year where he could have taken one of those stud quarterbacks, Allen, Mahomes, 
Uh, I know he's no, he's a pariah now, but Watson, like, yeah. they, they had moments. But he's also hit on a lot, and he's brought in the right guys. You talk about Ayuk, you talk about Debo, um, going and signing Trent Williams, trading and signing Trent Williams, trading and getting Christian McCaffrey. Like, all the all the things about the Niners works because the roster is so well put together, and I think John Lynch deserves a lot of that because... Without it, I mean, you're talking about a third-string quarterback. And I, I just, quite frankly, I sound like such a hater of Brock Purdy. I'm happy for him. It's a great story. But, man, like you have Christian McCaffrey and George Kittle and Debo Samuel and probably the best left tackle in football. And an elite defense. And an elite defense. And like a brilliant head coach. <laughs> yeah. And so it's this like, is what I'm, I know. This he's is, not yeah. on my totem pole of credit. He should know his stats bear out that he deserves a lot of credit. No, he shouldn't be. I mean, this is exactly what I've been arguing about Jimmy Garoppolo for four or five years. And it drives me nuts when we give him credit. The guy is along for the ride for with a great organization. The 49ers win because their GM is one of the best in the NFL. They win because their head coach is arguably the best in the NFL. And as a quarterback, you just got to not screw it up. As long as you don't screw it up, you're going to be okay. You got enough weapons. The one area that Brock Purdy does, in my opinion, improve their offense over what Jimmy Garoppolo brought. And I'm not going to overreact to a game against Seattle, who had a horrendous defense all season. We'll see. Dallas has a better defense. Like, it's going to get tougher as the weeks go on. We'll see what they do this weekend. But the one area that he does provide that Jimmy never did is mobility. He can move. He can extend plays. He can use his legs to scramble if he needs to. Two of their touchdowns in that game were because he was able to kind of bounce around in the pocket. He didn't just try and, you know, escape out the back. He moved up in the pocket. He found a running back that was wide open in the flat because he kept his eyes down the field. And there was a couple of easy touchdown passes. Those are plays that I don't see Jimmy Garoppolo making. Now, Garoppolo has more experience. He's more battle-tested and all that. But Brock Purdy's pushing the ball down the field at a higher clip than Jimmy did. And he's more mobile than Jimmy is. And so I think the only question is, at some point, is he going to hit a rookie wall? At some point, our defense is going to figure him out. But even if you do, again, the point remains... He's not the reason they're winning. They're winning because they have so many weapons. They're winning because he can throw a crossing route to Debo Samuel that's seven yards, and Debo's going to take it 65 for a touchdown. They they have so many different ways to beat you, and I just, to me right now in the NFC, they are the team to beat out of everybody. Given what we saw with DK and that Seattle offense in the first half, I will tell you right now, if that Dallas offense is the offense that goes to San Francisco and you get that kind of shaky start from Brock Purdy again, could be looking at a bit of an upset there with Dallas going on the road and winning that game. You could. I, I would could bet be the over in that game. Wait, uh, yeah, I because I think the defense for the Niners is good. I'm not as convinced they're as stout as we make them. They have absolute studs. There is no refuting that. But we just, I mean, I watched Seattle move the ball through the air in that first half. You know, there's not a DK, but like CeeDee Lamb's pretty damn good. Gallup's mm-hmm. pretty damn good. Mm-hmm. Their tight end, Schultz, pretty damn good. I think the Niners are better up front than they are on the back end. I think yes. their front seven, they're really hard to run the football on, but they can they can sling you can that, sling it on yes, a little bit. That secondary, I think you can you can move the ball through the air. So we'll see. I it's obviously Niners Cowboys is one of the more historic rivalries in football history, and it's gonna be exciting to watch that matchup, but I don't know. I was impressed and also simultaneously a little nervous about what the Niners are gonna do. But that's the beauty about the playoffs, man. Maybe they shake it off and there is no rust and the Cowboys play a bad game. I have no clue what's going to happen when they play this weekend. But uh, both of them, I think, gave an argument. We didn't even get to Dallas and Tampa. Boy, that game was a snooze fest. And uh, the, the biggest story out of that was missed extra points. Who would have who thunk it? 
And then we didn't even get to Miami and Buffalo, really. Buffalo almost with the biggest uh, surprising loss that I maybe in my lifetime in the NFL. If that would have happened, that would have been the biggest surprise of my life. I think you did the the Chevy Chase Christmas vacation, your head sewed (laughs) to a carpet line on Friday talking about that game. There's no chance they lose that game. And we were almost there. Almost walked in with your head sewed to the carpet. Yep. Uh, Sam Monson will get his thoughts on all the Super Wild Card weekend action. We'll get to some of the other games we haven't discussed yet. And we got the team. All of that is head. Dirt and Sprague on 1080 The Fan. In this wide world of sports, some stories can slip through the cracks. Now, before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. Pelican Brewing presents the Daily Ticker, where Dirt and Sprague visit with the insiders that are covering the stories you've heard about. And some you haven't. How'd you do that? Actually, I'm not even mad. It's amazing. The Daily Ticker with Dirt and Spray is brought to you by Pelican Brewing. Born at the Beach. All right, Daily Ticker time here on a Tuesday. Brought to you on the fan by Pelican Brewing Company. Born at the Beach online at pelicanbrewing.com. We're all talking about the wild card weekend. Super wild card weekend. Lived up to the hype. Divisional round should be awesome. Joining us now is one of our good friends, Sam Monson, a pro football focus at PFF underscore Sam on Twitter. You can go give him a follow. There he's PFF's lead NFL analyst. Uh, Sam, good morning to you, man. I'm going to start just the, the number one storyline from you. I know that's hard because it's like picking your favorite kid because a lot of the games were great. What was the biggest story out of this weekend for you in Super Wildcard Weekend? Um, I guess probably the biggest is the, the 49ers look absolutely terrifying to pretty much anybody right now. Um, this Brock Purdy thing, it's for real. Whether or not he is the answer going forward, whether how good he can be, it doesn't really matter. The point is right now, he can clearly lead this offense to a point where it's almost unstoppable. Okay, Seattle has a bad defense, but you, know, you sort of felt like, okay, if you take Seattle out, maybe Detroit makes it, maybe Green Bay makes it, whoever else. It, it didn't seem like it would make any difference. This 49ers team would just roll right over the top of them. I think they're absolutely now in in real contention for a Super Bowl, certainly from the NFC. Well, Sam, how would you pair what we saw with San Francisco in the second half of that game against Seattle with what we saw the entire game with Dallas at Tampa and just clobbering Tom Brady and company like that? There's always right. There's a good. There's a bad cowboy. That was the good Cowboys. How you feel about the divisional round matchup now? Yeah, it was. Um, that was Dallas getting themselves together for the first time in a little while. They had been a lot like Tampa Bay, actually, and just sort of struggling to find rhythm and making too many mistakes and shooting themselves in the foot over the last few weeks of the season. And going into that game, everyone was kind of wondering, was either one of these two teams going to get themselves together um, and pull themselves out of this for a playoff game? And Dallas did, and Tampa Bay just didn't. For the entire season, the Bucks were not able to find whatever it was that was going to get them back on the kind of page that we know they can get to. But yeah, Dallas, when they are in that rhythm, when they are in sync, they have a really talented group of playmakers and a good quarterback and a good offensive line and a defense that's capable of causing turnovers and generating pressure. They're a lot like the 49ers in terms of the areas that they're strong and, and what they can bring to the table. Hmm. Yeah, the question is just what Cowboy team's going to show up every week, and we'll see if that one shows up again uh, this weekend in San Francisco. On that, quickly, uh, we haven't talked about this yet on the show today, but Brady loses, and he's running off the field, and it's the whole, is he going to play again? Is he going to, you know, Tampa, is he moving on? What, what are, what's your read on that? How much of it was the offensive line injuries? How much of it was just a bad offensive coordinator? Because I think we all watch Leftwich and think, man, there's something to be desired there. Is there more left in the Brady tank, and would you want your team to go out? after him next year 
I think there is if he wants to do it. Um, I think we've reached the point in his career where it's sort of like the last couple of years of Philip Rivers, the last couple of years of Matt Ryan, where he can still play at a really high level, but he now needs more help around him than he used to. You know, we've seen in the past that he's been able to play incredible football with not a great supporting cast around him. I don't know if that's the case anymore. So now if he wants to keep playing, he's looking at a pretty select list of teams that actually have that good situation ready for him to step into. And there aren't that many of those this season, um, a team that's actually in a really good spot everywhere except quarterback and just needs a guy to come in and be able to do what he can do. The Jets, weirdly, is a, is a spot where I think that is true. Like The Jets have a playoff caliber team right now without a quarterback that can get them there. And I doubt they really want to roll into next season with Mike White as the, the best guy on that <laughs> roster, that would make a ton of sense. Um, but I don't think he's really capable of stepping into a team anymore that isn't great and elevating them the way he would have been able to or the way he did with Tampa Bay the first time. Yeah, Sam, we, we watched Justin Herbert and the Chargers closely out here for obvious reasons, and they, they blow a 27 nothing lead on the road at Jacksonville despite having a, a plus five in the turnover category. First time ever that's happened. You know, it's basically announced by Jay Glazer yesterday. They're they're keeping him. Uh, Justin Herbert, I said this earlier, it feels like with coaches, we do this with quarterbacks. We say in two, three years, nope, he's not the guy. You need to move on. I think like we should be doing that with coaches. Your thoughts on the Chargers keeping Staley? Yeah, I mean, I think people do a, a lot of the time, and that's why there's all this talk about whether Staley gets fired or not. It's why there was talk that Mike McDaniel could be on the hot seat with a bad result or a bad performance from Miami. It, it, I think we we tend to be a little bit too knee-jerk about this. Or not we, but certainly owners do. They, mm-hmm. they tend to look at this via kind of binary lens of, did we meet goals, yes or no? If not, somebody has to be fired. I don't really care who it is, but somebody's job has to end at, at the end of this. And that's what happened with the Jets. You know, they fired um, Mike McDaniel, or Mike... Uh, Mike um, uh, LaFleur, LaFleur, LaFleur. Yeah, LaFleur, yeah. excuse me. Um, because, simply because something had to change, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Robert Sala, the head coach, wasn't on board with this because I don't think LaFleur did a bad job. I think he just had Zach Wilson and Mike White and Joe Flacco at quarterback, and there's really no fixing that over the course of the season if those guys are not going to play at that kind of level. So I think when you look at what went wrong for the Chargers, both in that game but also generally this season, I think you have to ask yourself, you know, what here is – failures of Brandon Staley is bad coaching and what would be improved with a different guy. And I think you can definitely look at that and say, look, risk, risking Mike Williams in a meaningless week 18 game was a mistake. Um, and you could argue that risking other people was as well, but particularly Mike Williams, the guy who's dealt with injuries and means so much to that offense and changes the dynamic when he's out there, that I think you can definitely argue was a major error, but, I don't know that too much of that collapse in the second half was specifically on Brandon Staley. Like, yeah, the defense gave up some points, but the offense also stopped scoring. You know, they got three points in the second half. If the offense puts up a couple of touchdowns, that game's not close. You know, then they they ease off to a a pretty easy victory. So I I don't know that they need to make that kind of knee-jerk reaction. I think everyone needs to sit down self-scout, figure out what went wrong this season, and then identify if that's a problem that 
needs to result in Staley's removal or if that's something that you can improve. Hmm. On that note, we're talking with uh, Sam Monson, a pro football focus. I, I do want to ask you about Herbert because he attempted more passes behind the line of scrimmage than he did 20 yards down the field in that game. That's kind of been a theme of theirs all year. He's kind of a captain checkdown guy. Is, is that when, when you break down his performance, is that him going through his reads too quickly and he's just getting rid of the football? Is it a byproduct of not having a healthy offensive line? Is it Joe Lombardi and his offense that's putting handcuffs on him? Like, what's your read? Because he has one of, if not the best arm in the NFL, and it feels like they don't utilize it. Yeah, and that's becoming one of the most interesting questions for the Chargers because it's been a trade of Justin Herbert's now across a couple of different offenses, basically every year of his career. He's capable of making spectacular throws, and there's usually one or two a game that make your makes your jaw drop and everybody uh, go, wow. But the overall profile looks like what you said, incredibly low average at the target, incredibly conservative. So sort of statistically, he looks, or statistically, or when you look at his kind of um, throw locations, his charting data, he looks like Alex Smith. You know, that that's the kind of quarterback he's playing like, but he obviously has way more arm talent and way more capacity to do more. So one of the biggest questions the Chargers have is, like, is this Justin Herbert or is this something that now multiple different offenses have sort of created in him and how do we change it? Like, whichever one of those things is the truth, it needs to change because a guy as good and talented as he is should not be leading the league for two straight years in turnover-worthy play rate, like the lowest turnover-worthy play rate. A guy that talented simply should be putting the ball in harm's way more often than that because you need him to make those more aggressive big plays. Well, this is a perfectly fitting timing. Uh, the Chargers just fired Joe Lombardi. <laughs> As I asked that question, that just came across the wire. So wow. I just wanted to bring, they, they are going to go out for that new offensive coordinator. Uh, Sam, I, I'm curious, um, Cincinnati and Buffalo this weekend, neither one very impressive in their in their wins. Where would you lean on that game? And, and what were your thoughts kind of watching Buffalo really struggle with Skylar Thompson and the Dolphins? And Cincinnati, look, John Harbaugh's a great coach. I don't know how many people thought Tyler Huntley was really going to be able to do that. What do you make of both those teams this weekend? Yeah, Buffalo's problem is the the same as it's been all season long, which is just way too many mistakes from Josh Allen and from that offense. Like, I don't know that Miami actually did that much to keep themselves in the game offensively, but the Bills kept handing them opportunities and kind of couldn't, couldn't stop doing that for a big enough period of time. They were also running this sort of crazy hyper-aggressive offense where everything was deep down the field. Josh Allen's average depth of target for the game was 17 yards, which is the highest we've ever seen, highest we've seen in the game this season. Um, it was 20-something yards in the fourth quarter when they had the lead. Like, they were way over the top in terms of how aggressive they were being and, and weren't just sort of taking the easy offense and keeping the chains moving. Um, and every time they've lost this season, it's been as a result of Josh Allen being way too careless with the football. So that's kind of big thing for them to focus on. The Bengals, their biggest problem is they're losing offensive linemen at a rate of one a game. Like the last three weeks, they've lost a starter in each one of those games. And all of a sudden, this overhauled offensive line that they spent money on in the offseason and, and drafted to improve, it's about to look like the same group from a year ago, which was catastrophic. And, you know, okay, they saw, they showed last season that they can overcome that, but it makes it really hard. And now you have to overcome it against the Bills, who have been as good as anybody over the course of the season. You know, the, the prohibitive Super Bowl favorite at the start of the season, vying for the number one seed the whole way. 
um, and they have enough of a pass rush to cause you some problems. Plus, you have the extra layer of, you know, the fallout from the DeMar Hamlin situation and the fact that this game is being played in Buffalo, even though theoretically the Bengals could have beaten them in that game if it had continued and, and jumped them in the seating. Yeah, yeah, a lot of layers to that one. It's going to be a lot of fun. Sam Monson is the Pro Football Focus lead NFL analyst, co-host of the NFL podcast uh, by Pro Football Focus. Give him a follow on Twitter, at PFF underscore Sam. is one of our favorites. Thanks for breaking down the wild card weekend and the preview of the divisional round. We always enjoy the time, and hopefully we can do it again soon. Anytime, guys. Take it easy. There you go. Sam Monson, a pro football focus. How about that timing? Talking about the Chargers, and then they fire their OC. Great timing. Well, it's it's one step. What at least at least we got one. I you know I, I guess beggars can't be choosers. I think Staley should go too, but at least he's going to have an offensive coordinator that doesn't run a high school offense. Well, I mean, I I know a lot's been made. We talked about the offense and how they chose to pass instead of run. I see the other argument of like, yo, you should still try to score. I get that. The defense is also deserving of blame here. And what's the head coach's forte? It's it's defense. Like, how does the defense get that bad with those kinds of players? Right. I, I don't know. I, they're not going to make the move. The one thing I would have asked Sam, we just were kind of against it and trying to get to as many things as we can. When you have a Sean Payton on the market, which doesn't happen all that often, isn't that like a specialty circumstance of, yo, this is too good to pass up. We got to make this move. Apparently not to the Spanos family. Um, and now we just see who they hire as OC. If you were an aggressive, competent owner, the answer to your question would be yes. Unfortunately, the Chargers do not have that. Let's get to, though, something we talked about there at the end, and that is one of the games from Wild Card Weekend that we have not discussed yet. And Sprague with the spot-on text over the weekend. We'll get to that game and what the hell is going on with the Bills and their offense. That's next on The Fan. All right, we got a lot to get to in the final hour of the show. Blazers got a sweep over the weekend. We'll talk about them back in action tonight. We're going to get to the Blazers today. I might carve out a couple of minutes for your Portland Trail Blazers. Nazir Little's back in the lineup. Everything's good again, baby. I was happy for him to hit a three in that game against Dallas, man. That that guy's gone through a lot of injury problems. We have not talked about the Cowgirls yet, who got a dominant win over (laughs) uh, Tampa last night, so that was fun. I'm waiting for the WCW-WWF-like heel turn where Swag is about to handshake <laughs> Macho Man Randy Savage. He is, yeah. But he's going to leg drop him and go and be like, how about them Cowboys? <laughs> I mean, I we, all right, we'll get to that in the final hour. We'll get to the Cowboys in the final hour. Let's get to, and this will probably carry over because we don't have a ton of time here. Yeah. I, I don't know how to feel, Brandon Sprague, about your Buffalo Bills. <laughs> I don't know how to feel. I, I, they are clearly loaded. Josh Allen makes big play after big play that you're just like, oh, my God, that throw, and let's chuck it down the field, and it's a touchdown, and playoff Gabe Davis is back. They also have a crippling turnover problem that they cannot overcome. Part of that is on Josh Allen, although one of the picks was like a weird deflected ball up in the air thing, not necessarily on him. They can't really run the football. Not at all. And so you get in the second half of these games, like we talked about this with the Chargers blowing a 27-point lead, man. you got to be able to run the football in the second half of games. The Bills cannot do it. And their defense gave up. Now, again, aided. One of them was a defensive touchdown. But still, the, the Dolphins moved the ball, and they couldn't catch it for the first quarter and a half. Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill couldn't catch the ball, and they only won 34-31. to I, I don't know how to feel about the Buffalo Bills. They were the, most, they were the unbeatable team coming into the year. They went 13-3, and and yet here I am saying, I, I, I don't know. I don't know how to feel after that game over Miami. You know, I, I'm not either. And it's tough because... I have a futures on them to win the Super Bowl, as many people probably do. Yeah. 
I've already pivoted to the Bengals, and then I watched the Bengals play, and I'm like, well, great. But now they don't have an offensive line. Uh, I know, but like the two picks I have are probably just going to lose to the Chiefs because Patrick Mahomes <laughs> right. is amazing. If I'm putting money on somebody right now to win the AFC, it is Kansas City. I Yeah, and I still kind of look at the NFC, and I go, are you just better served betting the AFC to win the whole enchilada? I, I don't know what to say about the Bills, man. I I was stumped that that was, that was the performance. The two players in NFL history that I've seen throw a deep ball, like a true deep ball, the easiest, like it just looks like they're flicking a 10-yard pass, <laughs> is Dante Culpepper and Josh Allen. So easy. When Allen throws that ball and it's like 60 yards on a rope, and you're just like, man, that's you just don't see that. But the problem is it's either home run or bust. It kind of feels like that's what their offense is. If he's not completing a 15 yards or deeper pass, it feels like they're punting because they can't run the football. And Miami kind of knew this. Miami took advantage of it. I give Mike McDaniel on that offense a lot of credit. Skylar Thompson actually played pretty well. He had some key drops by Hill. He had some key drops by Waddle. I thought Skylar Thompson, for what we had seen against the Jets, for a third stringer, that was not the same player we saw a week ago against New York. And then he goes into Buffalo, and suddenly you're thinking, Miami might actually do this. I don't know what to make of Buffalo. I think it's really tough to gauge them. Their defense does this. Their offense and their defense almost mirror each other. They have moments where it looks unstoppable and it looks amazing, and then they give up big chunk plays or they give up huge scoring drives. And you just kind of go, what's the disconnect here? What is it? What is it about Buffalo where offensively they can look like the best team I've ever seen on offense, and then they can also look stupid? (laughs) And then on defense, they have all-pro-type players that just either miss big tackles or give up big throws. I I don't know what that is. A a team with Milano, Tredavious White, I know Von Miller got hurt, but he was there for a while. Poyer, like, they've got dudes. And their defense, it's just not unstoppable. And so I don't know what it is, but it's on both sides of the football. To be fair to Buffalo, it ain't just Josh Allen and the offense. Their defense is sometimes they play incredible, and other times they give up these huge plays and allow a ton of points. I don't know how to feel about Buffalo right now, <laughs> and that should scare the living hell out of Buffalo Bill fans. I mean, that game's 17-0 right out of the gate, and you're like, oh, my God, they're, they're going to massacre the Miami Dolphins like we all thought. The place is rocking. And then you look up, it's a 20-17 to game at halftime. 20-17. to What really pissed me off and where I knew this was going to be a stupid, stupid game <laughs> They had the ball late first half. It was about two and some change. They got the ball. It gets tipped on a deflection, yeah. and Javon Holland picks it off. And runs it back to, like, the 20-yard line. Gets all the way to the 20, and I turn to my – my dad was in town, and I turn to him and I go, I had Bills minus seven and a half. I was already counting that bet as a cashed bet. It was over. And I knew at minimum Miami was getting a field goal, and there they go. They get some points, and Buffalo's up, like, three at the half. And I go, of course. <laughs> Of course, this is the way the Buffalo Bills are going to play. And now they're getting to play a team that's also very unpredictable at this point, given their injuries. I don't know what to expect from this divisional game, but I I already gut instincts feel like five points is too many on either side of the football. I do too. Both of them are limping in. QBR ratings from the wildcard weekend. The only quarterbacks with a worse QBR than Josh Allen this weekend. Make of you that stat what you want. Uh, Skyler Thompson was 12th out of all 12 quarterbacks. Tom Brady was 11th. And then Josh Allen was 10th this weekend in QBR. So he was not great. You made an observation over the weekend that made me laugh my ass off. I want to bring that to start the final hour. We do need to talk about Dallas. Uh, they can't make an extra 
extra point. But other than that, they look pretty damn good. Would you want your team to go after Tom Brady? He's like 57 years old. He looked like crap last night. But is it a byproduct of what's around him? And, hey, the Blazers got a sweep over the weekend. Don't forget the mail sack coming up at 8.15 as well. Get your questions in 503-250-1080. It's a loaded final hour on a Tuesday. Don't go anywhere. Dirt and Sprague on.